Hi, I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is the Blackthorne Grove, a podcast where witchcraft meets with good friends over tea to talk about the nature of magic and community. Today, I'll be talking with Thumper Forge. For those who have not met me yet, my name is Amy Blackthorne. I am the author of various and sundry books on green witchcraft and some other really fun topics that are, will be out later this year. Uh, Sacreds, uh, Plant Magic, aha, uh -huh. I do remember the name of my work, <laughs> will be out on September 1st. And social media spells will be on August 20th. So two publishers, two books, no waiting. <laughs> I will see you guys about that soon. Uh, today we are here talking with Thumper Forge. Thumper is occasionally known as Screaming Jack Lope, is a Gardnerian high priest and initiate of the Minoan Brotherhood, a Discordian Episcopos, a recovering alcoholic and a notary from Houston, Texas. His first book, Virgo Witch, Divining the Details, was co-authored with Ivo Dominguez Jr and released by Llewellyn Publications in November of 2023. By day, he manages a leather and fetishwear shop, and by night, he dabbles in chaos magic, offers geomantic and thematic readings, and blogs irreverently for Pathios Pagans. His essays have previously appeared in The Gorgon's Guide to Magical Resistance from Rebelor Press in 2002, and Modern Witchcraft with the Greek Gods, History, Insights, and Magical Practice, Llewellyn 2022. Thank you so much for coming hanging out with me today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I forgot Screaming Jackalope was in my bio. <laughs> it's it absolutely out. right there. <laughs> out in the world. Oh, well, I, I, I do love me the Jackalopes. And several years ago, I, I got, I don't want to say suckered into, but I kind of got suckered into going to one of those new warrior training weekends. Yeah. And um, it ended up at, at the very end of it. I was like, okay, this was a, this was a decent experience, but it was, I had no idea what I was getting into. And it was very <laughs> crazy. And at one point, we all had to take names. And and I ended up with Screaming Jackalope. That's fantastic. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun when you are when you sign up for weekends like that. You're like, I'm not really sure what I'm signing up for, but I'm definitely going to go. <laughs> I, I thought we were going to, it was going to be a lot of like sitting around and like crying our feelings out and stuff and, yeah. and maybe maybe some like drumming and, and there'd be a scream session and it was it was just this very intense thing where it was like it's like an all men's weekend mm -hmm. and it's like it very very Robert Blake or William Blake kind of gotcha. or Robert Blake William Blake was okay Robert Blake um and Iron John kind of kind of stuff um but like as much as I was resistant to it when I got there, I was like fighting back. I was like, you are not going to get in my head. And by the end of it, I was like, okay, I've learned a little about myself and made some friends. And and it's it's the friendships we made along the way that that is the heart of the new warrior experience. Love it. No, and also now I get to be screaming jackalope when I <laughs> when I forget that I've added that to things. When I sign up for weekends like that, it usually is a weekend out in the woods with the SWAT team, like shooting things and running around like my head's cut off we didn't get to shoot anything that was that would have been bad <laughs> yeah don't shoot things it's fine yeah it was more tr more trust exercises and like and like ritual nudity it was fine that's fantastic <laughs> i did i got i got to do a, a really a week-long um intensive like that in the upper northeast on a slate mine that was actually really neat oh wow that would have been cool. Yes. Um, I mentioned in your bio there that you offer lithomantic and geomantic readings. Would you like to talk to them, talk about them to the, our listeners? 
Sure, absolutely. Those are geomancy and lithomancy are both kind of earth-centered forms of divination. Um, geomancy, uh, I have to admit, I'm a little rusty with the geomancy right now, but it's basically binary divination where um, using whatever method you'd like, whether it's dice or a random number generator, you generate numbers, break them down to even and odd, and then make breaks that down even further to one dot or two dots for one dot for odd, one two dots for even, and arrange those numbers into figures and then plug those figures into sort of an astrological chart and you get a reading. Um, yeah, it, it was, I kind of stumbled across it and it's probably close to 15 years ago at this point. I had always, I was always very fascinated with divination and I was terrible at it. I could not read tarot cards to save my life. I, uh, I tried reading playing cards, just regular playing cards and mm -hmm. just nothing really worked for me. And then I just stumbled across this random little system and started playing with it and got really good at it really quickly. And, um, like I was, I was sort of accidentally giving the kind of readings where people are mad at you afterwards. Yes. I love this. Yeah. And um, very like, well, I told people, I told somebody, I was like, it was like, I would hit the nail on the head, but somebody's thumbs were still on the way. Mm -hmm. And I was always like a little too specific. Um, but uh, that was my primary method of nation for a very long time. And then several years ago, I somehow sort of stumbled across lithomancy, which is divination with semi-precious stones. And I've, it was a weird situation, but basically somebody kind of pitched it to me as like, you know, oh, this is this really old ancient form of divination. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And I started looking into it and I was like, I wonder where it came from. Is it, is it Greek? Is it Roman? Like, you know, does, is it Egyptian? And um, I got really fascinated with it, but I couldn't figure out where it actually came from and but i kept digging with what little sources i had and eventually i was able to trace it all the way back to 1978 <laughs> um, of course where uh in her book witchcraft for tomorrow uh, doreen valiente just sort of says this is lithomancy with with no history whatsoever and uh so i started playing with it and the idea is basically uh 13 stones where you have seven stones that are sort of the planetary stones and represent the seven, seven classical planets, and then six personal stones that represent areas of one's personal life. And you kind of look for favorable and unfavorable. And her only real instruction was like, use your intuition. And Jupiter means yes. And that was about it. <laughs> and so I started playing with it and was able to just get kind of intuitive with it. And um develop something resembling skill with it and so now that has sort of become my primary method of divination where i think it, i think it's the virgo in me where i like systems of divination that are like cut and dry like give me my yes no that's all i need give me my strong maybe you know we i'm not here to psychoanalyze myself i'm not looking for union or types just <laughs> tell me whether or not to make the purchase tell me whether or not to go on the date that's all i need to know and so geomancy and very much lithomancy kind of provides that for me. I love that. It's so neat when you get to take those pieces and actually absorb what they're talking about. Yeah. Because until our brain has that small click, it's like, 
hearing a foreign language that you don't yet speak and it's like i feel like i i might recognize a couple of those words but i need i need more information yeah that is a that is a very astute way of looking at it i uh i did uh, because where where from one thing i did with did get into with Lizmancy is really kind of applying uh the idea of chaos magical theory to it or the idea of like like the ends justify the means like i'm, I'm going to try to get results out of Lizmancy and i'm going to approach it very experimentally and once i realized that that even though there are there are historical records of of people using crystals in greece and and there was an ancient Roman doctor who had a, a stone that would scream and he could he could interpret the screams to diagnose his patients. Um, the Lismancy as we understand it is fairly new. You're, you know, the modern Lismancy that Doreen Valiente presented. So I was like, well, does it really have to be stones? And I, uh, once I was really getting interested in it, I was like, I'm just, I'm not a crystals kind of witch. <laughs> like I don't have a lot of crystals lying around. So I dug around and I found a jar of antique marbles in the back of the cabinet that had belonged to my dad. And I was like, well, I'll try it with these. And I started getting accurate readings. And I was like, well, what about gaming dice? Because then I can get like elemental shapes involved. And that worked really well. So I I have like my my secret joy in life is like grand, grabbing random things off the ground. <laughs> like, can I do readings with these? And but because I have this framework, I can. I can just kind of pick up whatever and be like, okay, the scissors mean Saturn and throw office supplies on the ground and do a reading. I love it so much. Monopoly tokens. <gasps> Those would work well. I'm going uh, to have to go to a thrift store and see if I can find a Monopoly game. I am. I will be right behind you. <laughs> I need a shoe. Give me a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, oh, we had a whole bunch. This beardy gay dude came running in and bought them all. We don't, we don't know what was going on. That's going to be amazing. I, I, I think tried, that would work, though. I, I tried the stones. Um, I, I got a stone for each sign. I got a stone for each planet. I, I put it together. I put it. Nope. As soon as it really? the, they hit the, as soon as they hit the cloth, my brain went, whoop. Nope. Nope. Never seen a rock before. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I tried actually. I have a casting cloth just that I like it was an impulse buy on Etsy one time yeah where it has the it's a circle with the 12 astrological houses in it and a friend of mine wanted a reading he was like I want a reading for the year and I was like oh I will throw the stones onto the astrological chart and very quickly I was I do not know a lot about astrology mm -hmm. I, I I can tell you what it's like to be a Virgo and I'm very committed to my Virgo-ness <laughs> but but that's about it and so I started kind of pulling out books and looking things up online. So I was like, okay, if these stones represent planets, then okay, some are going to be strengthened in some houses and weakened in others. And it, I ended up having to redo the whole reading because I told him, I was like, okay, basically your dad's going to die or you're going to have a lot of sex. And I don't know which one it is. So we're going to set this reading aside and try again. And we tried again and it was fine. Fantastic. <laughs> it's neat because I would, I would love to see uh, so Zen and Meow is a company that makes uh, mandalas, and there's a they one of the ones that they have is a is a foot in diameter astrological chart as a a piece of uh, I think it's balsa wood. It's, it's it's engraved on, it's embossed on. It's gorgeous. I would love to use that as a casting cloth and maybe a gaming die in the center for squares, trines, 
going oh i like that that's so that gets my brain tingles yes this is going to be fantastic i started using gaming dice and lithomancy because of uh Pythagorean philosophy where there was the idea of assigning um, geometric shapes to the elements and um, at some point in the 80s or early 90s there was somebody decided that instead of personal stones they should be elemental stones mm -hmm. but it was the 80s and early 90s so nobody documented anything of course not. and so if you look up lithomancy on the internet it's you know it's always this like we don't know how far back in the midst of time this goes. Um, and uh, sometimes instead of the personal stones being like life and love and and home and things like that, it's uh, the seven planets and then uh, the four, five, five elements because they throw spirit in there and then they have a universe stone. Um, but, uh, oh, I had a reason for bringing that up. I went on a, my brain gaming went guy? on a gaming guy. Thank you. Um, <laughs> this. But, but because of those elemental correspondences I was able to kind of match up which element was supposed to go with which personal stone yeah. and then use gaming die in those three dimensional shapes to represent those elements so I still have elemental correspondences in there even though that's not really what the stones automatically mean to me it's, I love it so much when, um, when I started reading at Mystical Voyage I would you, I'd start with at least two decks. Yeah. I'd do my Celtic Cross and Tree of Life, and then I'd grab a second deck and then lay out cards for four elements so each everybody had their own say. And then if I needed Ooh. some some clarification cards, I'd have a third. So by the time this poor reading is over, I'd have five decks on the table. <laughs> people are going, how can you read this? This is madness. And my point was always, you know, if you see the Queen of Cups six times in six different decks in one reading, like maybe you'll pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is yeah that that would drive the message home <laughs> which it randomly reminds me have you ever and I just because you said this it made me think of this one passage and if you have not read the book you would probably get a kick out of it have you ever read Bell Book and Murder oh my god I have it in two copies down in the living room okay there's that whole thing where she's doing the main character is doing tarot readings all day and the chariot keeps coming up and it's and of course she's investigating a murder in the pagan community and and is has like landed on the radar of of the bad coven and she does this whole thing about how the chariot uh sometimes if a card comes up it's a message for the reader and the chariot is the james t kirk card and it's about leaping before looking and you know shooting first and asking questions later and not and does this whole thing about how much danger she's in and then she's like as a as a message for the reader it's ambiguous <laughs> very ambiguous absolutely it's fine <laughs> so, yes yes as a matter of fact i was just looking at that i um uh, was or alphabetizing my library downstairs which was already alphabetized apparently i was looking for something but i found i have two copies of double the mirror on that shelf <laughs> i love talking to other virgos about books because my bookshelves are Alpha, so they're arranged by subject and then they're arranged alphabetically within subject and then they are no they're alpha, alpha by author subject and chronologically unless the books don't look right next to each other then they get moved around yes, to create because <laughs> they have to be aesthetic yes absolutely so i have two libraries i have fiction downstairs and nonfiction upstairs yeah, fiction downstairs is by is by author and then by series and then by um, title of the series if there's multiple series but upstairs 
in not in the nonfiction, we we go like hardcore Dewey Decimal. First it's subject, <laughs> then it's author, then it's then it's publication date and title. There's different editions, so we've got to serialize the editions. It's it's bad. I was the curator for an occult library for a couple of years, and oh wow, I it it gets serious in here. The downside being, and the reason I have to do that is and keep my books that organized is because if one book comes out and I don't put it back, then suddenly the whole apartment is covered in books and everything's out of order. And it's like, people don't know the, 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 the Virgo onus of like, everything has to have a place or else everything falls apart. Yes. My, one of my dearest friends, Jana just came over uh, on Sunday to help me put the piles of books back onto the shelves, clear the slate so I can start the next books because I was up to my eyeballs and piles of books and it felt like the walls were closing in she's like no I'll, I'll be there on sunday we'll we'll wrap it up i am working really hard not to buy books right now because there are certain books that i swore i owned and i was like i don't think i would have like taken it to half price books i don't think i loaned this to anybody maybe i did loan it to somebody and i really need it for research or for something i'm working on but if i go buy it again it'll turn up and i'll end up with like I'll I'll start having like the multiple copies of the same book. Can I share with I you need... the perverse joy of the Virgo? Yes. They started making residential, like at home, use it yourself barcode scanners that implement <laughs> that Im automatically import into pages or Word in columns, so you can just scan your little boop, and it goes into a library app where you can keep track of all your stuff. And you can lend out your books. You can get them back. You know who has your books. Oh, I want this my, so bad. My heart, my is, heart is so dangerous. full. <laughs> Damn you, TikTok. Yes, I, 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 I stay away from TikTok shops specifically because I'll be like, well, that does look life changing. And then I, <laughs> I do need that chair. <laughs> Somebody actually sent me a video today that just was like, oh, it hurts. It was, it was a TikTok video or reel of a woman holding up a little organizer. She was like, I just got the cutest organizer for my craft stuff and I feel so organized right now. And then she turns and she tosses it onto this giant pile of crap. And she's like, yay. And I was like, oh, oh, ow, oh. Oh, oh it came oh, right for the hemorrhaging. kidney. <laughs> so yeah. that's, I, I have to avoid things like, like, oh, this day planner will, will revolutionize. You're like, great, I'll put it with the 37 other day planners. I still do it every year. <laughs> Danger. Very much so. But I'm glad we feel the same way about books and the organization yes. of the books. That's that makes me happy. It's so important because then you know where things are, you know where to look for them. Yeah. Although I'm excited about your uh the social media spell book. Oh my god, I'm so excited about this. I I, I go ahead. I need it to come out so that I can cite it in my next book. <laughs> It's going to be amazing. Because I, I have a, a small section in, in I I, uh, I have a book that's sort of like in the works where I've submitted the second draft to the publisher and waiting to hear back on the next round of edits. Um, and then I have a couple of chapters that I kind of like, they don't know about yet. <laughs> it's like, Love it. I, this is, I always feel weird saying this to people. And I'm, I always, I don't say it to everybody, but it's just, it, when it comes up a conversation, I, finished the second draft and I submitted it and then I had this weird dream and I woke up and I was like oh well that needs to be a chapter and so now there's a chapter that was inspired because I had a random dream 
that's when I know a book has got me by the face because it'll wake me up and force me to go write something. Yeah. In Blackstar's Botanical Magic, I was dead asleep in June. So I had been writing this for months. I'm asleep. I had the weirdest dream. I sit both upright in bed and have to come in and write about justice magic and how the date, time, and place of filing for a lawsuit or a bill or a political action, they all have to be time stamped. So that's the that's the time and place of birth, just like you would use for any other spell for any other person. Like it's oh. if you're gonna be a person, we're gonna treat you like a person. I love it. So I had to I had to go in and write three thousand words on justice magic and jasmine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I my my chapter that is still in the works but the one that that i dreamed about had to do with personifications mm-hmm. was in greek mythology mm-hmm. because i was there was the upcoming book is on chaos magic and a discordian take on witchcraft and one thing that i want people to kind of see is that a lot not a lot but a sizable chunk of of pop culture witchcraft or or social media witchcraft is inspired by chaos magic and again because you know pagans and witches were not great at writing things down people will get really into something and it gets very crystallized and they kind of put it in cement and this is the only way to do this thing and it's things that grew out of chaos magic which was very freeform and so one way of making something or doing something becomes the the right way to do it mm-hmm. um and i always use sigil making as an example because we think of, you know, you write out your intent, then you cross out the repeating letters and you make make a design and then you have your sigil and that's the right way to do it. And that was one method of sigil making that the pioneers of chaos magic were playing around with, but it wasn't the only way. And um, on, especially on TikTok, there, you know, there are these trends where suddenly everybody's into something <laughs> and uh, everybody, a whole bunch of people got really into pop culture deities and, uh, you know, venerating comic book characters and tv show characters and they were all like this is a great idea that we and i was like that is something that comes out of chaos magic phil hein was writing about that in the early 90s yeah um and i was falling asleep one night and i was like you know greek personifications are basically pop culture deities and i was like oh okay we gotta <laughs> Sorry, I, editor, I we got believe somewhere there's an altar with pinky and the brain on it like i i can see that i can see that or like, like, I could, oh, that would be a fun pop culture kind of working of like, take the, take somehow not separate pinky of the brain, but like pull the pinky influence out of something and increase the brain influence on something. Yes. Ooh, okay. There's going to be a whole series of TikTok videos on this now. Yes. I'm super lucky. My high priest uh, for the last 10 years has been, he's, he's been a chaos magician way back, like. People, before, you know, when they were writing things down in books, like he was in the back room hanging out. Yeah. And so I get to, we get to bounce stuff like this off each other all the time. So I'm super lucky and I would highly recommend anybody, everybody, please investigate more about the magic that you're doing because it's, it comes from somewhere. There, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, with Chaos Magic specifically, I have this, there's this whole timeline of, the scarlet it has to do with the scarlet witch and with role-playing games mm-hmm. where um i like to map it out basically role-playing games 
kind of moved into the mainstream where, you know, back in my day, role-playing games were what the nerdy little kids played, such right. as myself. And um, it was a, it was very subcultural. It wasn't, it wasn't a popular thing. And it was, and especially like in the, during the satanic panic, it was like, oh, that leads right into Satanism. You know, people were very anti Dungeons and Dragons and then it got popular and people, especially in social media started sort of identifying as alignments, but like in daily life. Mm -hmm. And because of that, the word chaotic became very, just became part of the lexicon. And at the same time, we have the Scarlet Witch in Marvel Comics, whose powers and backstory gets like rewritten once every 10 years. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Poor Wanda. We love Wanda, but like, <laughs> like, oh, they put her through the ringer. And, you know, she was at most, not most recently, but at some point, her power set was redefined as chaos magic. Because in the Marvel comic book universe, there is magic for order and magic for chaos. So it turned out Wanda had magic for chaos powers. And then she appeared in the MCU. And then we went through uh, WandaVision, which was spectacular and was like covered in Easter eggs for the diehard comic book fans. And then from there, we went on to uh, Doctor Strange and, and the Multiverse of Madness. And so you had this idea of this wild, crazy, uncontrollable chaos magic. And so those two kind of come together. And so you have witches today going, oh, I'm a chaos witch. I'm lazy and undisciplined. And it's like, oh, none of that is chaos magic. Not a thing. No, a, no. A good, there's a guy on TikTok named The Wand Banker, who I don't know if you follow him. Oh, yeah, if yeah. You don't, okay, yeah, he's amazing, right? And he, he does these really cool workings and he gets really into philosophy. And he was like finding magic within like, geometric equations or something that oh was like God. way above my pay grade and somebody commented and said well this doesn't seem very chaotic and so he very gently explained well that's you know he handled it well but that was sort of for me i was like oh i have to write a book i gotta stop these people <laughs> because it's if i think chaos witchcraft is amazing and a very valid thing and a really cool path but we got to understand where the chaos magic came from and the history of that. If we're going to move forward saying we practice chaos magic as chaos witches. Absolutely. When I went into my first day martial arts and they, they have you line up, you don't even have a belt yet. You just got to pull your pants up. There's a wall of black belts on the, on the, on the side of the building just goes all the way down from, from wall to wall. And he says, look, these up here, you know, some people are here. They, they have the intention of, they want to go to black belt. They want to do the thing before we have to do that before we can go and set you free with your paint set as a black belt we have to teach you how to paint in the lower belts yeah so you have to you have to learn the basis of this before you can just be set free to do whatever you feel like you have to know where it comes from and what to do with it exactly absolutely and that's always that's always been my approach mainly because i have adhd and a hyper focus and so I never set out to be an authority on anything. I'm just like, oh, this sounds interesting. And then I, I remember like right after I got the opportunity to write this book on chaos magic, I was talking to a friend of mine and I was like, I was like, I just, I kind of like, we're dealing with some imposter syndrome here because I'm, I have not been engaged with chaos magic that long. It's just something that struck me as interesting. 
And she asked me some question about it. And 30 minutes later, I was like, so that's where the four, the six principles come from. So if we move on and we look at, and I, and I was like, I think I might know a little bit more about this than I think I do. And she was like, you do, but that's, I, because I do hyper-focus on things, I end up, I, I tend to go to the very back of the line and work my way back to the, to where I am, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. So what is it that you do that makes you feel the most magical? Period. Square. Oh, um, th- honestly, it's group ritual. When, um, because my, I'm a gardnerian and, uh, that was, that was one of my hyper-focused things. It was, I had been sort of eclectic Wiccan, kind of a dabbler for a number of years. And I was working an office job where the, my bosses were never there. It was just me by myself in an office. And I had very little to do. And I was like, so I wonder where Wicked kind of came from anyway. And so I started like researching. And then nine months later, I was in some random lady's living room getting initiated. Um, uh but so group workings or a group of witches coming together where they're where everybody's like pulling their weight and doing their part and we're all in this together. That to me is like when I feel the absolute most magical. It's so fantastic knowing that you don't have to watch your back because you have somebody standing next to you who's gonna help you do that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also it solitary practice is wonderful and i do a lot of cool stuff on my own and stuff that i get really into and i see results from but there's always there i'm thinking of a quote from bell book and candlewall of all things where jillian is trying to explain or gillian as they say in the movie version um uh gillian is trying to explain to shep that she's a witch and he doesn't believe her and she's saying well what about this thing and this and this and he says that's all coincidence and she was like it has to look like coincidence or it won't work and so when like when i'm a witch all by myself out in the world and something happens that is a result of me playing fuck fuck with probabilities you know i know it worked but nobody else around me is necessarily going to like share that joy or interest yes and it's or people aren't going to see things specifically from my point of view and understand that no i see what happened here um so in a group setting like if i have some crazy mystical experience in the middle of a sabbath i've got you know three to six other people who are like oh yeah we totally saw that yeah that's amazing absolutely love it the the people say oh confirmation bias no we we started out with different experiences we just happened to arrive at the same place exactly exactly how did you find a magical practice i mean what made you want to be a witch once you were like okay this is this is something that's there this is something that exists but what made what gave you the spark to say this is where i need to be it started off and i actually just recently told somebody this story so it's fresh in my head or fresh in my head I um, was raised Episcopalian Mm -hmm. and I was like a devout little Episcopalian. I was this little nine-year-old like with my little prayer book and and saying my nightly prayers and I was really into it. Um, And when I was 12 years old, I was like flipping through a newspaper. I was reading like the lifestyle section of a newspaper. um, And there was an article about a coven of witches who had gone to see the witches of Eastwick. And we're like interviewed at the theater. 
and it may have been an AP thing. And I, I feel like looking back, it was probably Lori Cabot or like a, a group of commotions somewhere. Um, but they were like real witches. And I remember the the interviewer specifically asked them about the scene where the pearl necklace breaks on uh -huh. the staircase. And they were like, could you do that? And the witch was like, well, yeah, but why would I waste the power? And I was like, the confidence in that little comment really hit me. And I was like, well, I want to be a witch. And I said this out loud and my parents were like, um, maybe not, maybe we don't explore that in our good little Episcopalian home. Um, but that was like, at a very young age, I was like, oh, witchcraft is real. I wasn't aware of that. And so even though it wasn't until my like mid to late 20s that I really like threw myself into it, for my formative years, there was like this idea, okay, well, you know, witches are real and you're just one day going to go find them. That's beautiful. And I absolutely love the certainty that's like, yes, this is, this is what's happening. Just period. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was, and you know, I'd always been a big fan of mythology. I'd read a lot of Greek mythology at a young age. And my family, my parents and family, for whatever reason, they're like, oh, that's great. He loves mythology. So I would have like, I never say the name right, but the Dubalier, the big illustrated book of Greek mythology that every kid had. Oh, uh-huh. The shiny one. Uh, yeah. And I can't think of the <laughs> I can't think of the name. It was a husband and wife, and they wrote it and illustrated it, and I can never pronounce the name correctly. But like I would check that out from the library as a little kid, and my parents would be like, Oh, he likes mythology. He's such an avid reader. So relatives would be like, Well, here are some books on Greek mythology. And it was like like Robert Graves and these like academic texts that were like all full of like homoeroticism and sex scenes. And I was just this little 10 year old being like, well, this is great. And I, uh, but I was at an early age, I was like, well, people used to worship these gods. What would happen if I, did? can we still do that? And so there was a lot of questioning around that at an early age. And then eventually like, learning more about witchcraft and learning more about paganism and being like, oh, all these things I wanted to do as a kid, I can actually be doing. So <laughs> there, was, there was no looking back. Absolutely love it. When we get to the point where we feel like this defines us as a person, that is so incredibly empowering. You know, I yeah. we went to the church at whatever whoever was closest because my parents were like, just, just don't be here. Like, <laughs> do you? Um, and so I'm putting on my little frilly ankle slipper socks and turtling off to the, the local church. It wasn't that we had any one particular group of faiths. It was just like, okay, the Episcopalians are this month and next month we'll live next to a, an assembly of God church. It's fine. <laughs> and still managed to find a way to witchcraft at 11 years old. Oh, okay, good. We're, we're right on the same page then. We're yes. <laughs> twinsies. If your family was so like, oh, we knew this was going to happen, was there any backlash as far as coming out of the broom closet? Um, really? So it was funny. I was I was late in life coming out of the broom closet because I, um, my uh, mother, who passed away several years ago, was very devoutly Episcopalian, and um, the rest of my family, my dad, I've got my fraternal twin brother, are Episcopalian in a. Like I, I, they're, they're, they. What's what I'm looking for? They're very committed to their church, but they, they approach it very academically. I guess. Okay. Like they are believe they are believers, but they are, um, 
I don't know. They're just cool. They're cool. They're cool about it. I'm not describing it very well. Um, so for the longest time, I just never said anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do when I do go to church. I still want to go to church every once in a while, and I usually just go to a Unitarian church down the street from me. And um, my mom, I went to church with my parents one time for Easter. I'd always go to church with them on Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day. And I remember my mom introducing me to one of the priests of their parish and saying, oh, and this is our son. And he, uh, he's he been going to a Unitarian church, but we're going to bring him back. And I was like, you're not going to get a toaster or anything. <laughs> like, back off. And um, later on in life, uh, after she had passed away, and uh, I was spending a lot of time with my dad as he kind of re- na- learned to navigate life uh, without her, Um I mentioned that I was very interested in Unitarianism and might eventually one day go off to a Unitarian seminary, which he thought was great. Mm-hmm. And he he has ADHD too, so he hyper-focused and he was like, let's learn about Unitarianism together. And uh, and I just never really mentioned anything occult for the longest time. And I would, my the coven in which I was initiated was actually in another state. So sure. I would just, I would always be like, hey, I'm going to be out of town this week and visiting friends. And it just never came up. And it was always just sort of this thing that was, you know, my, I always thought it was like my private life. So they didn't need to know about that part of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Vir- Virgo Witch came out. And my dad knew, my dad had always wanted me to write more. And he knew that I picked up writing projects here and there. And uh, I, uh, <laughs> I had, the book came out and I had gone to Boston to visit him. And I had a bag of stuff. I had like a souvenir from I'd gone to a conference and I brought him a souvenir and so I had some stuff to give him. And we were at this little Jewish deli. And I said, so here's some souvenirs for you. And he said, great. And I was like, oh, you know, um, remember how I told you about how I'd written like a book review and an editor reached out to me and wanted me to maybe collaborate on a, on a book project. And he was like, oh yeah, yeah. I remember you talking about that. And I was like, okay, and you also know because my dad does not call me Thumper. Um, I was like, and you know that I picked up the nickname Thumper a while back and all my friends call me Thumper. He was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, anyway, I wrote a book and just handed him Virgo Witch. And then it kind of braced myself because I was like, this could go a couple of different ways. And he lost his damn mind and was like, and my my twin brother is like a top ranking cardiologist and Uh I am not. (laughs) And all weekend, my dad kept going, my son, the cardiologist, and my son, the published author. And he was so proud of me. And every time we ran into one of his neighbors, he would go, oh, and this is my son. You know, what's your birthday? And one neighbor was like, "Uh, September, why? He was like, do I have the book for you? (laughs) And so he like pimped my book all over Boston. He brought it up to my brother's friends at Thanksgiving. Like he bought extra copies to give out to people. So I was like, and then he was like, I read the whole thing. I didn't understand any of it, but it's good. (laughs) I love it so much. Yeah, and so he just like he just doesn't care. He just thinks it's great that that and my name ended up on a book, and he's completely free of judgment about it. That's amazing, and I love it so much. His girlfriend did ask me what a gardenarian was because it says in my bio gardenarian high priest, and I was like, it's kind of like a mason. Like we're we're not going to do the whole history of the modern witchcraft revival at brunch. So I was just <laughs> like, it's kind of like being a mason. And she was like, oh okay. And she was like, do you call yourself a high priest? And I was like, you know, I do not. But there are, like, in masonry, there are titles that come along with things. So that would be what I... And she's like, okay. 
And then my dad went on a deep dive into Discordianism, which was hilarious in itself. That's amazing. I love it. <laughs> it. It's so great. People, we spend so much time grieving losses of identity as as witches. Like we we lost the identity as a no. I was never a Christian. I would just would go to the place, and it's like when we embrace what we are rather than you know saying who we're not. It's so much more empowering. Yeah. And I, you know, when I was, I was baptized Episcopalian, and then because the Episcopal Church is similar to like the Catholic Church, where there's the idea of confirmation, where, you know, as basically you take your baptismal vows as an adult, just to reaffirm them, because you didn't mm-hmm. really have to say the first time. Right. So this is you consciously choosing. And in the church I went to, they kept changing the age for confirmation. <laughs> and it was, it was always like, like they i think at one point it was 13 and right before i turned 13 they changed 16 and then i turned 16 they changed to 18 so i was kind of over it by that point i was like well clearly you're not gonna let me do it so and then i don't know what it was but there was some sermon at church because i was also in church choir right like i was i was very involved and there was some the the priest gave a sermon that had something to do with like the Episcopal Church on the national level, and it was like reading a letter from a bishop, and and I, I was just like, I don't agree with any of this. I'm not getting confirmed, and my parents were like, "You're not." I was like, "No, I'm done with this," and I just like put my foot down at like 15 or whatever, and was like, "I'm not doing this." And I still went to church with them, but I was just like, "I'm not gonna." This is. It's funny now, especially having been so involved with, you know, with paganism and within the greater witchcraft community. At the, I was like, this is just too political. I'm not doing it. Nice. And now I'm on TikTok, like throwing punches with people over politics. <laughs> did they, I don't know if you know the answer to that, but did they use actual wine or did they use grape juice in, your, in the Episcopalian church? That you... They used wine. Yeah, we used wine. The Episcopalian, um, you know, the, the one I went to as a kid, they used tiny, tiny, like a third of a shot and it was Welch's grape juice. And so I cannot smell Welch's grape juice without also smelling like moldy linen and oh my God. badness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the Episcopal Church ranges from like, and I don't, this this sounds insulting and I don't mean it to be, it's just kind of the way it is, high to low, where mm-hmm. it's a Protestant denomination. And on the high Protestant side, you have services that are very similar to a Catholic service like pomp and circumstance and and the robes and the incense and the whole nine yards. And on the low Protestant side, you have services that are, or congregations that are a lot more similar to like Baptist. Mm -hmm. And then Methodist and Lutheran and Presbyterian, which all sort of developed independently are all over the years have gotten very, very similar to each other Yeah, and have started influencing each other where it's not uncommon for somebody to like graduate from a Methodist seminary and get placed with a Lutheran church or graduate from a Presbyterian seminary and get placed with an Episcopal church. Oh, neat. Um, yeah. So it's kind of cool. They're finding some common ground there. Uh, but uh, Methodists definitely, and maybe Lutherans always use grape juice instead of wine. So the high Episcopalians would always use wine. We were just told to sip, like don't chug the wine. And then, <laughs> but other churches would use grape juice or, or heavily watered down wine. So neat the way it, even if they call the same thing, how different it is from from space to space. Absolutely. And I, I was just recently in a conversation with some, I think a, a coworker or somebody 
asked about Episcopalian, and I don't know why. And it's just because of my background. It's one of those things I just know too much about. Right. And all my coworkers, I work in a very liberal environment. So they all like, I, I'll be like, hey guys, uh, watch the counter. I got to go do some witchcraft in the back room real quick. Or I'll be like, oh, I booked a reading. So I'm going to be throwing rocks on the ground and seeing the future for like 30 minutes. And they're like, oh, that's cool. Um, and so they just know me as like the resident witch. And then somebody said something about the Episcopal Church. And I was like, well, actually, when Henry VIII wanted a divorce, right? And the Pope wouldn't grant him one. So there, there is a split. And, and I'm just like listing off all this canonical history. And they're like, they're like, why do you work in retail? Why aren't you? <laughs> you should you should have like a dusty office in the back of a library somewhere. That would be the right environment for you. And I agree. It's fantastic when uh, I know I know all this stuff from listening to Eddie Izzard talk about it. So <laughs> ah, that's a, that that is a valid. I would call that a primary resource. That totally. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> She's just the best. I want to live just live in her pocket forever. Oh, uh, uh, there, there's a whole generation for like, do you have a flag and take her death where it's almost like code words for a certain, like certain Gen X and, and late millennial, early millennials. We all, we all know cake or death. And do you have a flag? The very first refrigerator magnet in my house when I bought this house was a, the fridge magnet says cake or death on it. Oh, I'll have the chicken. <laughs> we didn't expect such a rush. <laughs> so because you have so many disparate practices what does your daily practice look like do you do you feel like you're a gardenarian at circle and, and discordian here who do you who are you when you're home by yourself when i'm home by myself i'm just sort of this weird combo platter of all of the above where i i do a lot of um daily devotions and um and i'm actually going through a whole process of getting back into that because it was something that i'd kind of fallen away for a while and so mm -hmm. i i so i'm using lent as an excuse to do pagan devotions Love like that's, that's my framework um and uh the uh and of course the listeners can't see this but i've got like my little skull cap on because i'm i'm doing devotional veiling for 40 days as part of a way to remind myself to do my daily devotions in the morning and it's very just when i'm by myself it's very free form it's very um like i will pray to and venerate the gods that i have been introduced to over the years through the, the traditions that i've been initiated into um and at the same time like i'll make sigils at my coffee table with music playing in the background or i will just be sitting on the floor doing readings for whatever reason and it's very just kind of improvisational um when i was younger even by myself it was very like okay well i'm gonna cast this spell so i need to look up the planetary hour and okay we know which day of the week we're doing this and i need these very specific herbs and i i need to carve this candle just so and the older i get the more i'm like it's like a weird grumpy old man on the porch thing where i'm just like well need to do a spell for that and so everything has gotten very improvisational and pared down but something that still works very well for me beautiful if our listeners were going to hire you for a lithomantic or a gemantic or other style reading how would they get in contact with you <laughs> i don't know why my brain flashed to this but um i for whatever reason i immediately thought hitman like and there is 
if you're familiar at all, and I'm sure you are with uh, Trixie and Katya and their their show, um, Katya was talking about something and she was like, what's the straightest thing you've ever done? And Trixie thought about it and she went, I killed a guy. And I, and then immediately, like, I, I held the dramatic pause a little too long there. Trixie did not kill anyone. Trixie Mattel is not a convicted murderer. Um, but uh, that's where my brain went with this. But if you go to someperforged.com or if you go to fivefoldlaw.etsy.com, um, you can I can you can book me there for readings. Perfect. That sounds like a lot of fun. And how can they follow you? Where they, where are you socially? I am everywhere, literally at Fivefold Law. Um, so you can all my socials are on if you go to thumperforge.com, there's a whole page for socials. Um, but uh like TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, uh, what are the blue sky, the threads, everything is just fivefold law. And I highly recommend that people follow you on Amazon and other, anywhere else they can, they can see your lovely face because that way Amazon knows to push them when you have new books coming out. Yes, absolutely. And I, I recently got my, Am my Amazon profile. I was so proud of it. It's a very distinguished photo you have there. Well, thank you. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Absolutely. That was that was another Virgo thing where when Virgo Witch was getting ready to come out, um, Llewellyn reached out and they're like, hey, we need some publicity photos. We need headshots. Mm -hmm. And there were all these guidelines of like, oh, yeah. you know, you, it needs to be this this style and all this stuff. And um, a friend of mine is a, is a really good photographer. So I was like, can I come over and we'll just play dress up and you can take all these crazy pictures of me. He's like, sure. And so some of them are be very like looking like casual but nice, like like mysterious but approachable, and those ended up being the headshots. And there's also ones of me like wearing a leather cloak and all. That. <laughs> so I don't use those a lot, but um, but I got my my three that I liked and I submitted them to Llewellyn, and um, I was stressing about it a lot though because I was like I don't know if these are like I hope I did this right I hope the lighting is okay. And I was talking to my friend Tempest, who is also a Llewellyn author. And um, I was like, I just really, I'm worried that that I didn't adhere to the photo guidelines. And she went, there are guidelines? She's the best. And I was like, apparently. And then I was talking to another friend of mine who is, he's a guy named Michael Thomas Ford, who is a very prolific author and I've known him forever. And he's a great guy. And I was kind of telling him the same thing. I submitted these photos. I just, I hope they work. And he was like, the last time my publisher asked for a photo, I just used my cell phone. And I was like, okay, well, clearly I'm I'm more professional than a lot of you. But I submitted the photos. And then there was one that like it just didn't work for for a headshot. Like it was like half my face was in shadow, but it was a really cool photo of me. Right, right. So I made it, I made it my uh my Facebook profile picture. Because I just thought it was a good picture of me. Oh yeah. And Matt Arwen, of all people, heart reacted it. And I was like, oh, ooh, Matt Arwen likes my picture. And he left a comment. And I was like, oh, he's commenting on my photos. And he was like, I really need to get some professional photos taken one of these days. And I was like, none of you? Why am I the only one? I have <laughs> half a book. I don't even have a full book. And I followed the rules. Why did nobody else follow the rules? See, Virgos. Very Virgo. I hired three different photographers to find the photos that I used on my first book. Oh, wow. I was so anal about the like because I, I did um Natalie Zayman's headshots for 
Color and Conjure, I think, or um, one of one of her books. She's like, well, let's go to Longwood Gardens. We'll wander around. You can take a bunch of pictures and we'll send a couple of them and, and, and they'll pick whichever one they want. So when it was time to do the, my author photos for Wiser, I was like, I'm used to their list of guidelines and like making myself nuts. And Judica said, love, like it's, it's not, it's not that serious. Like pick one you like and send it to me and we'll be, yeah. it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> the one I ended up picking, I, um, I was like, okay, it's, it's again, that casual, but nice. Like, like I would buy a book for me is kind of the goal. Look, look I was going for. And I submitted it. And then one of the editors at Llewellyn, emailed me and you could hear her cracking up through the email because their their upcoming catalog had come out and Eva Dominguez's picture is right next to my picture and we look like the same person. <laughs> and she was like, I don't know what it is about like occult authors of a certain age where you just shave your head and grow a beard. But, and she was like, if you look closely, the gray spots in your beard match the gray spots and like if you put them together you would have one beard of one color and she was very into it and i was <laughs> and that was my entree into the well publications amazing i'm eva dominguez's long lost twin brother we should all be so lucky i know right that's fantastic well thank you so much for joining me this evening and hanging i out. loved it i had a blast <laughs> we're gonna do this off camera at some point because it's amazing well, I, I I hear rumors that we will be in the same city fairly soon. Yeah, May is not that far off. I, I will not. be I will be there. It'll be amazing. And I, I I will be hanging out there, demanding like avert your eyes. Nobody make nobody speaks to Amy until Amy speaks to you. Like I'll <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I get along very well with that venue, so they will get to watch me morph into some weird press secretary. That'll be amazing. That lighting's not flattering enough. Go inside. Go inside. <laughs> no, it'll be a lot of fun. I will. I will end up hanging out there all day with you. Awesome. This makes my whole day better. Excellent. Excellent. I will definitely look forward to that then. Awesome. Have a lovely, lovely evening. I you too. We'll see you on TikTok. You absolutely will. <laughs> Bye. Bye.